Well, welcome to week two of a series we're calling Catastrophic Relationships. Catastrophic Relationships. Now, we're not implying that every relationship is catastrophic, uh, nor should it end in catastrophe. However, we do know, if you've been in it very long, in this world very long, we know that the river of relationships often is filled with rough waters. And sometimes it's very difficult, isn't it? It's very difficult, whether we're talking about um, <clears throat> it, all kinds of relationships, whether it's family relationships, maybe relationships at school, relationships at work, um, maybe, maybe romantic relationships, which is kind of where we're zeroing in on and drilling down on this month. Whatever it is, relationships can be complicated. And if we're not careful in the way we handle those relationships, they end in catastrophe. Catastrophic relationships are very difficult to overcome, very difficult to deal with, and sometimes impact our lives greatly. So we're talking about these relationships and really trying to figure out how do we avoid catastrophe in relationships, particularly since it's February and you've been had plenty of warning about Valentine's Day now, so you're on your own if you don't know it by Thursday. But anyway, particularly romantic relationships that we're drilling down with, we want to talk about some important facts. Now, last week we started with the truth of the matter, and that is that we have to deal, first of all, with the outward relationship or the outward attraction, right? Because there is an outward attraction that draws us into those relationships. And if we deny that, I'm not sure we're being honest with ourselves. In fact, we saw that the man of God, last week, the man of God's, uh, the, the, a man that, that wrote in God's word was admitting an attraction outwardly. The problem is, if we stop there, we never quite go far enough. Now, we're, we're taking for our study in the Bible an ancient book that really is not a book. It's really a love song. And it's amazing that we don't read it more often or refer to it more often. But maybe it's because the book is a little bit explicit. And sometimes we might just get a little bit of red-faced reading it. But the truth of the matter is, it's an important love song because it talks about a king's desire and a king's love for a beautiful lady who is now his fiance and her love for him. I'm referring to the ancient book called The Song of the Songs. The Song of the Songs. Maybe you know it better as the Song of Solomon because Solomon is the one who's engaged in the song. He's the one that's writing and his song becomes an, a, a, a guide to us through these relationships, particularly romantic ones. Now, when I go to Israel, one of my favorite spots to visit is the Dead Sea. I don't know if you've ever uh, thought much about the Dead Sea or read much about it. <clears throat> you can find it in Scripture. Um, one of my favorite places to go when I go to Israel. Several reasons. One, because it's like no place else on the earth. 1,400 feet below sea level. It is the lowest land spot in all the world. That's pretty incredible. Secondly, it's a body of water that is 10 times greater in salinity level than any other ocean or sea in the world. So that makes it unique. Unique in that it is so solid that you can float in the Dead Sea. Even those of you who say, no, you don't understand, Pastor, I can't float. I'm telling you, you float in the Dead Sea. Really and truly. I mean, you do because it's so solid. It's an incredible, incredible thing. But you know why most people come to the Dead Sea? Most people who visit the Dead Sea don't come because of religious or biblical purposes, although Jericho is right at the Dead Sea. 
in Getty that we're going to read about today is right at the Dead Sea. That's not why most people come. Most people don't come to float. In fact, sometimes when we go in February and out there in the water, they look at us like we're crazy, honestly. Some people don't come to swim. You know why most people come? Most people come to spread mud all over their bodies. Really. You walk around there and you see this black mud covering bodies, arms, hands, legs, faces. I never will forget on one particular trip, a lady came that was going with me, came. She ran down to the Dead Sea before I had a chance to say anything to the group. She ran down to the Dead Sea, and by the time I got down there, she had black mud all over her face, around her eyes and mouth. To which I said, how are you going to get that off? She said, well, that, this water, I'm going to go. I said, no, no. You don't want to rinse your eyes, your face in that water. It's way too salty. But they come. Why? Because it's a beauty treatment. There's something in the oils of that mud. It's actually a slimy kind of mud to feel it. And there's something about that mud that has these purposes and all the chemicals and, and I don't know what all that is a beauty treatment. And so literally spas dot the Dead Sea where people rub this stuff on them and increases their beauty. Their skin is smoother and, and it's more oily and it just makes them more beautiful. I, I've thought to myself, First of all, I don't have any of that mud on anything but my feet, just so y'all know. But secondly, I thought this. Wouldn't it be a cool thing if we had a dead sea that would beautify the inside and not worry so much about the outside? You see, here's the problem I think we have in our relationship. Sometimes we overdo the outside to the extent that too little attention is paid to the inside. The truth of the matter is the outside is important. Remember we said that last week? And if you recall, we talked about the fact that some of us need to work on that, okay? I'm all right with us working a little bit on the outside. But if we work on the outside to the extent that we forget the inside, we've missed something very, very, very important. Today, I want to talk about this, and we're going to see it in Solomon's love letter. We're going to see a connection that needs to take place between the outer person and the inner person. How do we make that connection? You do understand, don't you, that, that what we see is outer, but what we see is not really me. Can I say that one more time? What you see is not really me. What you see when you look here or when I look at you, what we see is the tent that we're just borrowing for a while, honestly. You see, that's what Paul said to the Corinthian church when he wrote those words that sometimes we hear at funerals or gravesides. I read it a lot. Where Paul said that we have this tent. And, and this tent is our home while we are aliens in this land. But God is building a house. And one day we leave these tents to go to our house. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's why, to me, cemeteries are bearable. Otherwise, I don't know how we bear a cemetery except for the fact that we know that all we're doing is folding up the tent and the person is going to be with Jesus. It's the only way it's bearable, right? So it's not just the outward that's important. Why is it that we can't see that what you see is not all of me? You have to know there's something on the inside. And it's on the inside, the personality, the emotion, the compassion, the character, the nature. How can we leave all of that 
out of a relationship. And yet too often we choose our relationships, we build our relationships, and we try to maintain our relationships primarily on whatever chemistry there is outwardly. Well, Solomon's going to say, you need to be careful and find a way to connect that inner and outer. As a matter of fact, what we really want to talk about today is the fact that if we can connect, connecting the inner and the outer changes everything. It changes everything. It's a game changer for us. So how do we do that? How do we make that connection? And how do we get to that point where we can see beyond just the outer to the inner? Did you know sometimes outward beauty can veil inward beauty? We need to build both. So let's go to Solomon. All right. Song of Solomon. Song of Songs is found somewhere about the middle of your Bible. If you have a Bible like this or maybe you have it on your, um, uh, your phone, your tablet. You can find it on our website. You, you can find it up here. There's all kinds of ways to read along. I really want you to read along with me as we see a part, just a few verses of this song that Solomon wrote. Now remember, I kind of shared with you last week how you can understand the book of Solomon. But in case you missed it, let me recap this and say this. The song that Solomon is singing here the the song that he has is really kind of like a faith hill tim mcgraw situation right remember that we talked about how faith and tim this married couple country music and how they sing songs to each other on the stage he'll sing a little bit and then she'll sing a little bit and then they had the backup singers who also join in and sing a little bit that's how this is think of tim mcgraw that's solomon okay think of faith hill that's a shunammite woman that's the only description we know of her we don't know a name and then they have these young women who are the backup singers so when you read along you're going to see in your text where it says the man the woman the young women they're all part of the masterpiece and when you're reading the man he's singing when you read about the woman she's singing and then every now and then the backup singers will give their part to add to the song so keep that in mind and let's begin in chapter one where we left off last week and let's read along to see how Solomon now what you want what I want you to do is see this I want you to see how Solomon weaves the inner and the outward connection Watch how he weaves them together into one. <clears throat> okay, beginning with verse number seven. He says, this is the woman speaking, by the way. She says, she's singing now. Tell me, tell me you whom I love. So she's, so she's singing to Tim, I mean Solomon. And, and she's singing to him, now tell me you whom I love. Where do you pasture your sheep? Now I don't think that would work for Tim and Faith, but... In their culture, that was very important. Where do you pasture your sheep? Where do you let them rest at noon? Why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? Now, I think here's what she's saying. Just to sum it up easily, I think what she's saying is, I want to be with you. Where do you work? Where do you, where do you pasture your sheep? Meaning, where are you? Have you ever watched a shepherd work? The shepherd has the most boring job in the world. Because the shepherd just sits and watches the sheep. So she's thinking, if you're just going to sit and watch, man, what a great time for us to talk. <laughs> you with me? I just want to be where you are. Where are you? Now look at his response, verse 8. He says, if you do not know most beautiful of women, 
Follow the tracks of the flock and pasture. Your young goats near the shepherd's tent. In other words, yeah, come on down. Yeah, come on, let's just sit and talk. Yeah, let's have this companionship. Now, you notice that they're talking about inner connections here. She's saying, I just want to talk with you. I just want to be with you. I just want to sit with I just want to spend time with you. And he says, yeah, come on. I just want to spend time there. That's important. Watch this. We're talking about an inner connection here. At this point, there's nothing romantic in the scene necessarily. They've already gone through that pretty early in the book. You remember we saw that? But now watch how it begins to change gradually. In verse 9, he says, I compare you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, i got to just tell you ahead of time, in case you read through this before the 14th, guys. Can I just give you a hint? Ladies, just cut it off, cut it off for a minute. You don't even have to listen. I want to give some guys advice. Do not describe your wife, your bride, your girlfriend in the same words that Solomon uses. It's not going to work, okay? She's not going to think you look like a horse is going to be good, right? Not going to be a good thing. And, and there's other descriptions in the book that get even worse. So I'm just telling you ahead of time, don't read the poem to her. Be careful about that. But to him, it's a compliment. Because the, the, the horses, the, 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 the horses, the infantry of foreign entities were strong and meant power. It was a beautiful thing. And if you're a horse fan, then it's a beautiful thing to you. But other than that, it may not work. But what I want you to see really is the first part of verse 9. He says, I compare you, here's the phrase, my darling, my darling. He uses that term several times, and when we read on down, you're going to see it a little bit more. Here's what's interesting about that term, my darling. Now, we, I know that's not one we use a lot today. Maybe you do. I, I think it's been used in older generations a little bit more. But this idea of darling, my darling, Clementine, you know, I don't know what you think about when you think. Of, but here's the thing in Hebrew. Remember, this is written in Hebrew, right? I know I tell you that a lot, but I want you to remember that. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. And sometimes we go back to the Hebrew to understand a true meaning because otherwise it's just someone's interpretation of a word. But here's what's interesting about the word there, ayah. In Hebrew, it means companion, friend, best friend. So what I want you to see here is that while we tend to want to put maybe even a romantic tag to darling, understand in the Hebrew, the idea is friend, friendship. He's talking to her about a desire for friendship and she to him. Now, why is that important? Because it's an inward connection and it's an inward connection that's often missed starting inside my compare you my darling he says my friend then he goes on verse 10 now he turns the tide a little bit and now the outward begins to be woven in with the inward look at verse 10 he says your cheeks are beautiful with jewelry your neck with its necklace. Wow. We will make a gold jewelry for you accented with silver. Now he's turning outward. Now look what she says. Her response, Faith is now singing, verse 12. While the king is on his couch, my perfume releases its fragrance. The one that I love is a sachet of myrrh to me, spending the night between my breasts. The one I love is a cluster of henna blossoms to me in the vineyards of Engedi. Now, what I want you to see, I want you to see a connection, how he's weaving together the inward and 
the outward. Not suggesting the outward is unimportant. If you missed it, you need to check on our podcast, our website. You can get the podcast from last week and see how important the outward is. But what I want you to see is he wisely, they wisely begin to interweave, interconnect the two. Look at verse 15. He says, how beautiful you are, my darling, my friend. Remember? How beautiful you are, my friend. How very beautiful your eyes are doves. How handsome you are, my love. She's now singing. How handsome you are, my love. How delightful. Our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars and our rafters are cypresses. I am, chapter 2, I am a wildflower of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. What's she doing? She's drawing a, making him picturesque. Very, Hebrew's very picturesque. Very wonderful poem. Very beautiful poetry about the attraction that she feels and the attraction that he feels. And yet woven together with the inner, inner beauty. And then he says, verse 2, Like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among young women. She responds, like an apricot tree among the trees of the forest, so is my love among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banquet hall, and he looked on me with love. Now, there again, what are we, mixing, the, the, mixing the outer and the inner. Verse 5, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apricots, for I am lovesick. May his left hand be under my head and his right hand embra arm embrace me. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and wild does of the field. Do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Now, let me stop a minute. What I want us to see is how they are mingling outer and inward. And what I want us to do is, if I can, take just a moment to drill down on the inward. Culture drills down on the outward. You see, culture tries to define for us what beauty is all about. We talked about that last week. Don't buy the lie. Don't buy the lie. There are so many young ladies today. There are so many young men today, even older ladies and older men who are ravaging their lives and their brains by trying to fit some kind of a defined beauty from our society and our culture. Don't buy the lie. God made you just like he wants you. And the lie is that if you can fit into this culture's uh, a definition of beauty, then all the guys are going to just flock after you. And if you to fit into this culture's definition of beauty, then all the girls are going to flock to you. Don't buy the lie. There is something about the inside that matters. And it matters a lot. Character does matter. Amen. It matters a lot. And so we think about this and we look at what's going on and, and we're thinking, okay, I need to work on this inside of me. I need to work on this beauty part of me. Let's see, I don't have any Dead Sea products for that. How do I work on the inside? How do I get the inside where it needs to be? Well, here it is. You become a new person. Woo, you become a new person. You can work on that. Listen to what the scripture says. There's so many places I could take you, but I want to take you to a couple. Listen to this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writes, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new. Has come. Wow. 
You can change. The, just like you're trying and striving to change the outside. Watch this. Christ can change the inside. And watch the beauty flow from within to out. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet Ezekiel, here's a word from the Lord, and it's a great word. Listen, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. He says there is something on the inside that can change, and you can have a beauty from within that radiates without. Isn't that incredible? Now, you've seen that, haven't you? To be honest. You've seen that. Now, I'm not naming anybody here. Whoo, I'm not going to get myself in that kind of deep trouble. But you've seen what I'm talking about. Somebody who on the outside is very plain. But on the inside, they're striking. They're striking. And suddenly the inside radiates the outside. Here's my problem. Here's my point. I really believe this. I really believe Jesus makes a big difference in any relationship. Jesus makes a big difference in any relationship. And I just believe that I would be very much remiss if I didn't say this to you before this series is over. Jesus makes any relationship better. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're two teenagers we're just trying to discover this relationship stuff. It doesn't matter if you're a young couple or on your honeymoon and just thinking this is the greatest experience of life. It doesn't matter if you're in midlife and you're struggling through how to deal with growing children or grown children. It doesn't matter if you're retired and growing old with the one that you've loved all these years. Jesus makes any relationship better. Why? Because Jesus does a work. Now, I want you to hear this. Don't miss this. Jesus does a work in our lives from the inside out. Our problem is we try to beautify ourselves from the outside in. Did you hear that? We attempt to build relationships and to make ourselves presentable in relationships from the outside. If I could just do this, if I could just learn to... Man, if I could just come up with poetry like Solomon... If I could just sing like whoever, if, if, if I could just be this or do this, and we think if we could just change the outside, if I could just get my biceps bigger, if, if I could just get my hair fluffier, I don't know what it is. If I could just do, 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 Jesus works not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Have you ever wondered? That's why it is that so many people want to change their life. And what do they say to me? They say, Pastor, I want to change. I really want to change. So I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And I want to say, whoa, that's not the starting point. Pastor, I really want to change. I'm going to come to church every Sunday. Well, it's a good thing to come to church every Sunday, but that's not going to bring change. Amen. All that's going to do is change your Sunday morning schedule. Right. That's really it. <gasps> I can't believe you said that. Well, it's just the truth. Well, if I, I really want to change, Pastor, so I'm not going to this. Hold on. Jesus says, I want to give you a new heart. I want to start from the inside and let that inside work out 
Can I just tell you something? One of the best habits I ever got into my life. I'm thankful for some good habits that I've developed over the years. I'm also working on some bad habits that I'm still going on even after all these years. But one of the best habits that I ever got into was coming to church every week. I'm not, I'm not dissing on that. But I'm telling you, I come to church every week, not because I'm hoping that it'll make me change, but because I am changed. And because I am changed, I'm like, I can't wait to get there and, and, and celebrate with those people and worship with those folks and, and love on people and let them love on and encourage me. And it's a whole different ballgame. So he says, start inside with a new person in Christ. The same as a relationship. Can I just say that? I believe the same works in a relationship. We start from the inside. And we work out. And we let Jesus make us into the person that can avoid catastrophic relationships. Amen. So I've only got a couple of minutes. So I want to finish up with some very practical thoughts. Okay, this is as practical as I know how to get. All right? I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to put them on the screen because I want you to see them. You might want to write them down. You might want to try to remember them because I think it's worthwhile to draw from this some very practical practical stuff okay first thing i want you to see is this put that first one up there you don't avoid catastrophic relationships by meeting the right person but by becoming the right person now i know that sounds a little strange uh, but you don't avoid the catastrophic relationships by meeting the right person but by becoming the right person everybody thinks if i could just meet mr perfect well, I hate to blow your thoughts and your dreams in church this morning, but he don't exist. The only perfect man walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And other than that, we are not there. But we can become the right person. Maybe I need to work on me and what I am becoming as I am looking for she in the future. Andy Stanley, you know what? There, Andy Stanley can sometimes say things like nobody else. I and mean, he's the greatest wordsmith of thoughts. And you know what? He said something one time that I thought was incredible. And, and it's one of those things that just stuck in my head. Here's what Andy said. Now, listen to me carefully. Especially some of you folks who are, who are still looking for the right one. You know, you're still looking for Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect because she don't exist either. And my wife is real close. Y'all can tell her I said that. Um, here's what Andy said. Andy said, be the one that your one is looking for. That's a good word. Be the one that your one is looking for. If you're looking for that one, that special one, he says, while you're looking, be the one <clears throat> that your one is looking for. Amen. And, of course, he makes a beautiful point. And the point is the one you're looking for, even if he exists, may not be looking for one like you. You don't avoid catastrophic relationships by meeting the right person, but by becoming the right person. Secondly, this is also important. Let your one become your two. <laughs> what in the world are you talking about, Pastor Eddie? Let your one become your two. Look, if you're looking for that one, what you really need to do is make that one your two. Because what you're looking for, hear me, 
you're looking for Jesus. He's the only one that can fill your heart and satisfy you completely. Now, right then, some of you were thinking, ah, this has turned into something just for singles. I've been married for 40 years. Hold on. Because here's a mistake I see in relationships all the time, even long-term, strong relationships. What I see is one partner trying to find fulfillment in the other apartment in ways that they can never fulfill. Ma'am, this is not in my notes. A lot of times I get in trouble when I go away from my notes. But I'm going to say it. Ma'am, your husband will never be able to satisfy certain needs in your heart. Only Jesus. And it's not fair to expect him. But sir, your wife cannot fulfill everything that you expect in and of her. Only Jesus can. And it's not fair to expect her to do, to fulfill what only he can fulfill. So what I mean is work on making your one your two. Now, now we, my wife and I have an agreement, and we're just up front with each other. She's always going to be two in my life, and I'm, all, I'm okay with being two in her life. Amen. Because number one is Jesus. Amen. And she tells me that, and I tell her that, and we're okay with that. Because I know when Jesus is first in her life and when Jesus is first in my life, our relationship works a lot better. Jesus makes every relationship better. All right, let me go to the third thing because I'm telling, I I can see in your eyes that you're ready for me to move on. So let me just go to the third thing. Beauty flows from character. Now, those of us who are looking for Mr. Mrs. Beautiful, you know, uh, maybe you found him, maybe you found her, well, wonderful, but at some point in time, you need to see that beauty flows from character. Could I just take the time? How much time do I have, Victoria? I got a few minutes. Let me just do this. Y'all remember, you remember the, the same Solomon? Not only did he write a love song, but he wrote a book that we call Proverbs, which is a collection of short, pithy sayings. You remember that? Have you ever read that? I'm telling you, you ought to read Proverbs. If, I'm telling you, here's a good plan. Every day, read a chapter in Proverbs. You know how many chapters there are in Proverbs? 31. How many days in a month? Works out perfectly, right? So read the Proverbs. They're short, pithy sayings. The last chapter of Proverbs may be the most Famous chapter in Proverbs because it describes the perfect woman, if you will. Not perfect, I hate to use that word, but, but a beautiful woman. In fact, he ends up the chapter by talking about her beauty. But I want to read his description to you, okay? Now, I didn't put it on the board, uh, on the screen, so you won't be able to see it. But let me just read his description to you and watch what he points out in this Beautiful, beautiful partner of his. Look what he says. He says in Proverbs chapter 31, Who can find a wife of noble character? She is far more precious than jewels. Now, what is he saying? I I don't have time to, to unpack that, but you hear it, don't you? He's saying, who can find this noble wife? She, her beauty is far from just outward. Jewels can, jewels can beautify the outside, but there's something about her in her heart. And then look what he says. <clears throat> he says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, 
And he will not lack for anything. She rewards him with good, not evil, all the days of her life. In other words, he says she's trustworthy. Trustworthy. That's a pretty good trait. And then watch this. She selects wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the merchant ships bringing her food from far away. She rises while it's still night and provides food for her household and portions for her female servants. In other words, she's hardworking. Now, here's what he's describing. He's not, he said, I'm, forget about the jewels thing. I'm telling you about this woman, <clears throat> this wife of mine. So I want you to know she's trustworthy. She's hardworking. Look at verse 16. It says, she evaluates a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard with her earnings. In other words, she's smart. That's a pretty good trait. <clears throat> she's smart. And then he says, she draws on her strength. And reveals that her arms are strong. She sees that her profits are good. Her lamp never goes out at night. She extends her hand to the spinning staff. And her hands hold the spittle. No, she's strong. She's strong inside and outside. She is not afraid for her household when it snows. For all of her household are doubly clothed. She makes her own bed coverings. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. In other words, she's family oriented. She takes care of her family. She loves her family. And <clears throat> hang on, I love this one. Listen to this. Her husband is known at the city gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes and sells linen garments. She delivers belts to the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She can laugh at the time to come. In other words, you know what he's saying there? Just in my own paraphrase, she's saying she's got a good reputation. <clears throat> and because she's got a good reputation, she bolsters her husband's reputation. Amen. And the people around him are saying, that's one lucky dude. <laughs> Listen. Her mouth speaks wisdom and loving instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the activities of her household and is never idle. Her children, <clears throat> I love this, her children rise up and call her blessed. And her husband praises her. Many women have done noble deeds, but you surpass them all. Listen to what he says. Here's his conclusion. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. Hallelujah. Character matters. And the truth of the matter is beauty grows out of character. All right, go to the next one. I've got to hurry. I'm about out of time. I, that was a lot to read, but I thought it was worth reading and something you may want to see. Here we go. Inward connections take time to mature, so don't give away too much too soon. Now, that's a good word. I don't have time to unpack that. But can I just read to you one more time Song of Songs? Listen to chapter 2, verse 7. Here is some good advice. Will you listen to it carefully? Hear it. He says, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. That is a good word. You know what I said to the students Wednesday night in trying to wrap up last week? I said two words. Slow down. Slow down. You know what I'm saying to adults, a room full of adults today? Slow down. Slow down. Don't give away too much too soon. I, I wish I had more time to really unpack that. <sighs> But I won't. Last thing, we need help. We need help. Now, here's the good news, and I'm through with Solomon for today. In chapter 2, verse 8, I left off one verse, and this is so powerful. It says, listen. 
My love, this is the woman, listen. She's like, listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes leaping over the mountains and bounding over the hills. She says, I'm so excited. I've been by myself all this time, and now here he comes. He's coming just like he promised. Here he comes. That goes so far beyond outward attraction to an inward beauty. Dave Reaver, I don't know if you've ever heard the name. He came to my mind this week as I was preparing this talk, and I hadn't even used his name in years. Yesterday marked the 51st anniversary of Dave's enlistment in the U.S. Navy during the Vietnam War. <clears throat> Dave was a young man, called to ministry, had thought about using his ministerial exemption, but decided he couldn't let his friends go to Vietnam without him. And so he signed up. He married his teenaged fiancée, Brenda. And six months later, he found himself in Vietnam. One day came around, they got to use everything they had trained for, and Dave's story is this. Dave was on a boat, headed down a river. They were engaged in combat. Dave took a hand grenade, pulled the pin, was in the process of tossing it, not knowing that a sniper's gun was zeroing in on his head. The only thing that kept the sniper's bullet from hitting his head was that his hand got in the way. The bullet, instead of piercing his head, hit his hand, which you would think is good news, except that when he released the hand grenade six inches from his ear, it blew half his face away, his hand, his ear, and set him on fire. Here's why I remember Dave. I remember him because he lived to tell this story. And now, 51 years later, still tells the story of how God saved his life that day and changed his life forever. But you know what I remember about the story? And what made me think about that this week? Is I remembered, and that's a chore for me. I don't remember things all the time really well. But I remember Dave talking about the experience when his teenage bride, came to the hospital in Texas to see him for the first time. And he confessed that he was so nervous, he was afraid. What would she think? She's a teenager. They were married six months. And now he is a grotesque, ugly, burnt up mass of skin. What's she going to think? He looked in the mirror, ear blown away, mouth half blown away. His tongue would hang out the side. He describes it in detail. I won't. He said, I was nervous when Brenda came to the hospital for the first time. Here's what he said. He said, my wife Brenda, still a teenager, walked into my room. A girl I had respected while we dated. She was a virgin when I married her, and so was I. Our relationship was built on respect, not the backseat of a car. The two kids had waited for each other because they respected and honored God and themselves. Now that respect would come back, not to haunt me, but to help me. The day Brenda stepped into that room, it was truth or consequences. 
She walked up and read the chart on my bed to confirm I was her husband. She read the tag on my arm to be certain the right man was in the right bed. She looked at my grotesque being, so ugly I could barely look at it. Then, convinced it was me, she bent down, kissed my face, looked me in the good eye, and stated, I want you to know that I love you, Dave. Welcome home. It's the inside, isn't it? It is. The real me, it's not what you see. The real me is inside. Amen. And if you're going to connect with me, if my wife is going to connect with me, she has to connect with the inner as well as the outer. And until you do, my friend, you may well be headed for a catastrophic relationship. Pray with me, would you? Lord God in heaven, thank you for your grace, your love. Thank you for loving me, for me. Not what I look like, not what I sound like, not what I can accomplish, but just me. Now help me, God, to love others that same way. Help me, God, to build relationships based not just on outward, how people look, how they talk, what they can do for me, but help me to love people, beginning with my wife and my children and my grandchildren and my church family and my neighborhood. Help me to love them, Lord. for the inside a soul for whom Jesus died on a cruel cross we love you Lord and thank you for teaching us about relationships in Jesus name Amen